I like Proverbs sometimes because it dispenses all of the fluff. There's no parable. There's no story. It's just don't oppress poor people. Full stop. But I digress. Have you ever heard about the Battle of Blair Mountain? 100 years ago this month, 10,000 miners marched on coal country in West Virginia, where they fought an armed struggle against private security. It was the largest domestic military uprising since the Civil War, but I bet you never learned about it in school. It's okay, I never did either. But I wanna tell the story this morning as a testimony to the labor history that we've forgotten and the consequences of that forgetting. Because if we don't rebalance our economy, it won't just be those who have stolen wealth who reap calamity. The whirlwind will come for us all. Make no mistake, we are drifting backwards towards feudalism. And the only thing that will save us is the fierce love that can bind us together to win what we deserve. The battle itself was waged on the slopes of West Virginian hollers, workers bearing rifles against their bosses for four brutal days, only stopping when the National Guard arrived. But in order to talk about the uprising, we have to talk about the economic system that birthed it. For decades, West Virginia had ceded near total autonomy to mine owners, letting them control their workers however they saw fit. And for decades, those companies used that power to build a system of wage slavery. These companies owned everything. They owned the mines, of course, and the coal beneath the ground, but they also owned the local economy. You bought your food and clothing at the company's store, your bed at the company outlet, eventually your coffin at the company, company mortuary. Oftentimes workers were paid in company credits so you couldn't take your pay elsewhere if you tried, nor could you own your own home. The companies owned all the houses, renting them to the workers. Termination meant eviction. And oftentimes the company credits never quite covered expenses, locking workers into spirals of indebtedness. Eventually the company owned you too. Union membership was outlawed, but that wasn't the only right you surrendered for the privilege of breathing coal dust. The right to free speech, free assembly, even a trial were forfeited as conditions of employment. In 1919, 3000 miners joined the union. The bosses fired them all and sent a private army to evict their families. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court, warns Proverbs, or the rod you wield in fury will be broken. When people are pushed to the edge of what they can endure, when every avenue for democratic resistance is closed, rebellion becomes the language of the unheard, to paraphrase Dr. King. They began to organize a massive strike and protest in Logan County. In response, the sheriff decreed any union organizer will be shot on sight. The union answered bluntly, if our organizers come back in pine boxes, neither heaven nor hell will be able to control the miners, they said. We will organize Logan County. Their words were not heeded. The union delegation was slaughtered and the miners had had enough. 10,000 tied red bandanas around their necks and grabbed their rifles. Rallying mine workers, the words of labor icon Mother Jones nestled beside the Proverbs. Oh, you men of wealth. Oh, you preachers, those who spend money for Jesus, she cried. Let me tell you, 
Them fellows are owned body and soul by the ruling class. They rob you under the pretense of giving to Jesus. Jesus never sees a penny of it. I wish I was God Almighty. I would throw down some might from heaven and get rid of the whole blood-sucking bunch. The good mother did not mince words, and nor does scripture. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor. The Lord will take up their case and exact life for life. It's no coincidence that the Bible is filled with invectives against those who, fill, who sell the poor for silver because the working conditions in ancient Judea looked a lot more like a West Virginian company town than a free market. The Israelites were perennially working in structural debt that imprisoned people to the land they tilled. Widespread wage slavery is the reason that the Bible calls for Jubilee. It's the reason that Jesus called fishermen among his disciples. At that point, the owners had changed, but the systems of wage slavery were well intact. Roman authorities levied heavy taxes on fishermen, locking them into perpetual cycles of poverty that transformed ships into economic prisons. Jesus' call to lay down your nets wasn't just an invitation to set fishing aside. It was an exhortation to reject the entire predatory system that crushed fishing people. But the biblical call doesn't just condemn what is. It also affirms our fundamental interconnectedness, the economic ties that tether every person to the welfare of the poorest in our midst. Rich and poor have this in common, says Proverbs. The Lord is maker of them all. Our destiny is interwoven, and the systems that degrade laborers unravel that social fabric. It is in everyone's best interest to build an economy that enables our collective flourishing, because the alternative is the rod wielded in fury broken on the ground, lives shattered beside it. I'm talking about West Virginia mining towns because this country is rebuilding them. Jeff Bezos is worth $188 billion. His workers are sleeping in tents and peeing in bottles. He may not send a sheriff to shoot organizers, but when workers at a plant in Bessemer attempted to unionize, Amazon spent millions on a disinformation campaign to crush their efforts. One of workers' complaints was the grueling automated schedule, one that pushed human ability to its mathematical limit, quotas determined by artificial intelligence, remotely monitored for compliance. Just that year in Bessemer, a worker collapsed on the floor and died. At another warehouse this year, 48-year-old Billy Foister died from a heart attack. Though on-the-job mistakes are often corrected the minute they happen, it took almost half an hour for management to send medical attention. After he was declared dead, the rest of the floor was sent back to work. When Jeff Bezos returned from space, he thanked Amazon workers. You guys paid for this, he said. Billy Foister could not be reached to express his gratitude. I'm just using Amazon as an example, but this is widespread. Just last week, Nabisco announced its intention to force employees to work 12-hour days, seven days a week without overtime pay. One man interviewed had worked 45 days straight. Meanwhile, last year, the company made $3.5 billion in profit. And all of this is happening within a broader economic context of deepening debt and rising expenses. There is not a single county in the United States where minimum wage can provide a two-bedroom apartment. Household debt, meanwhile, has reached almost $15 trillion. Millions now owe back rent due to COVID, a bill we are simply kicking down the road with eviction moratoriums. And we're tenuously keeping people in their homes, but refusing to solve the economic devastation that threatens to leave them homeless. 
something must change. And it must change soon or we will enter a season of calamity that makes the battle of Blair Mountain look like a petty squabble. The truth that we have forgotten is that too many of the workers' rights we now enjoy were purchased in blood. The miners eventually won their raise, their right to unionize, the abolition, the abolition of company economic control, and a five-day work week, but not until dozens lay dead on West Virginian hillsides, with hundreds more arrested by the government and charged with murder and treason. It wasn't just the Battle of Blair Mountain either. It took another decade of bloody struggle to finally secure these rights that are swiftly unraveling. In her novel, The Parable of the Sower, Octavia Butler prophecies a future America where slavery returns not through legislative decree, but because people sell their bodies and labor to corporations because it's the only way to survive. We cannot let this come to pass. And yet we teeter on the brink. But God offers a different path. An ethic of collective generosity can dismantle systems of domination without the need to forcibly break them. There is no glory in armed insurrection, only tragedy. Jesus isn't crucified as an example of what God asks of us, but in revolutionary hope that no one else should have to die to bring heaven closer. Heaven, God promises, is already in our midst. It's time to embrace the abundance that God has already given by directly confronting the greed that's preventing its equitable distribution. Woe to those who exploit the poor for being poor, not because we're coming with rifles, but because your avarice has no place in the coming kingdom. That's the lesson we need to learn from the Battle of Blair Mountain. Not that violence is inevitable, but that when we organize our collective power, a new future becomes possible. I didn't delve into details because my storytelling was already a little long-winded, but one of the things that scared mine owners so badly was the interracial solidarity among the miners. In the 1920s, West Virginia had more black miners than any state in the union, and miners of every race were beginning to figure out that mining companies' economic violence was more important than the bigotries that were keeping them apart. That's the kind of solidarity this moment demands. Blair Mountain has escaped West Virginia. Predatory economic systems pioneered in those hollers are devouring towns across this country. But we have forgotten the power that broke them once and the power that will break them again. It's the power that coursed through Mother Jones when she promised miners, you will not be serfs. You will march, march, march on from milestone to milestone of human dignity. You will rise in the new day and slavery will get its death blow. It's the same love that Jesus offered saying, set down your nets and follow me. From Blair Mountain to Bedsty, it's time to demand what's ours. The rich man's house is groaning from all the pilfered wages, but the flip side of that tragedy is this promise. We shall revel in abundance when our voices join together and sing, gonna take back what he stole from me. We're gonna sing that song in protests and we're gonna sing it in legislation. We're going to sing it in raised wages and a wealth tax through abolished debts and public housing, in universal pre-K and expanded elder care. And we're going to sing it in harmony because no voice alone can reclaim what was taken. We're in this together until the mountains quake and the valleys rise. Our love shall win the victory. <laughs>